0: Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. Well brethren, let us turn Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Here in Ephesians 1 we begin with a prayer of praise to God. Paul writes a prayer for us for the rich blessings that God gives to his people. In verse 4 he begins to share how those spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Become ours? How is it that we receive these wonderful blessings from above? How is it that we receive the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places here and now? Well, Paul tells us it's through God. And in particular, through our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, And so the next three weeks we'll speak of them individually. Uh, first, we'll speak here of the Father in verses 4 through 6. And then he speaks of the Son in 7 through 12 and the Spirit. And so it is the work of God, our triune God, who brings to us this wonderful blessing. And as we do come to this, though, how could we truly enjoy any blessing? What could lead a person who is not a believer to become one? We usually begin answering these questions by speaking of Jesus Christ. When we think of how can someone become a Christian, we go to the cross. We speak of Christ and him crucified. And that is very much true. But what Paul does, he actually goes beyond the cross, uh, past the cross, backward, further into human history, and actually beyond human history. He goes to even before the foundation of Of the world when it is only God and His infinite perfections. And so Paul doesn't begin at the cross. He takes us further back before the world was made and before time began. And so Paul doesn't give us here, and this is, there's two things I want you to think about as we read this text. One, Paul is not giving us his own opinion, Paul is not giving us Ephesians chapter 1 to say, here is what Paul believes. About how God saves. Rather, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a messenger. And a messenger, the only thing that he is to do is to give the message. The message comes from Jesus through Paul to you. And so, what Paul does here is he doesn't give us his own opinion on things, but he gives us what Christ has revealed in his word to Paul to speak by the Spirit. Secondly, It's also good to remember who Paul is writing to, the saints who are in Ephesus, who will understand such a mystery as Paul describes in chapter one, verses three through 14. Those who are believers, those who've trusted in Christ. There's something to this passage that if you're here today and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, perhaps you will understand better than those and some may not understand those who have not trusted in Christ. He is writing to Christians, and that is good to remember as well. And so let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning seeking your help and guidance as we come to your word. May you lead us and guide us in the truth, and may your spirit strengthen our hearts as we seek to know you and to to understand more of what you have done for us. In Christ. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. I don't really have an opening illustration for us this morning. I just want to tell you about what we have before us. This is the doctrine of election. I should say it this way, this is the biblical doctrine of election. No, no, what happens twice a year. We don't want to hear about that. But this is the biblical doctrine of God's choosing his own people. And so we want to consider its nature and its purpose. And as we have time, its application. Here in verse four, we see it beginning to speak of the nature of election. The doctrine of election is not something that we are to be afraid of or to turn aside from, but it is a doctrine worthy of our consideration and actually one that ought to encourage us greatly. First, the nature of God's choice election. First, I want to say this that it is a definite decision. You notice in verse four, I mean, verse three, we want to go over this again that this is. Paul blessing God for the blessings that he has given us and as this from his heart comes this song of praise and he begins by going back to the beginning and he speaks of what God the Father has done and so as we consider verses three through six we're speaking of what God the Father has done in your salvation. And I want you to acknowledge and to understand that nowhere in this passage until really we get into verses 13 and 14 are you mentioned other than to say what has happened to you. In other words, it is God's initiative that he saves. You will not save yourself. You cannot save yourself. It is God who has decided to save. And so the first Part of the nature of God's choice, of God's election, is that it is a definite decision. Even as he chose us in him. Not he was waiting on us to make a decision, nor does it say he was hoping that we would do better or waiting on us to do better. It said he chose us. In other words, what we have here in Ephesians 1 is the definite plan of God. What God sets out to do, he does. What God has planned will come to pass. God does not change his mind. God does not do that, but rather it is definite. And so the definite decision is made evident in this very thing being a statement of Paul and not an argument. One thing that you'll see here in in Paul's letter is, is that he is not making an argument or making a case for the biblical doctrine of election. He doesn't give you the logic of it. He doesn't say, if this and then that. He's not doing that. He's not arguing with you. He's not trying to convince you. He is simply making a statement. Now, there are other places in Paul's letters where he will do his best to convince you of something. But this is not the case. Paul is giving us the definite decision of God. The definite plan of God is that he would choose a people for himself, that he would choose his own. And so here it is. He's making a statement, not an argument. And there are passages where Paul or other biblical writers give arguments and points, but not here. Secondly, this is an eternal decision. Not only is it a definite decision, it is an eternal decision. It says, before the foundation of the world. In chapter 2, we're told that we're saved by grace, that we're not saved by works. Why? So that any would boast. So that no man can boast. Isn't this the clearest reason that we can have? That God chose his people before they could do anything that would make them worthy. God did not choose you because he saw all the good works and all the good deeds that you're doing. No, rather he chose you before you could do anything that would even begin to make you worthy. And because he is God, he chose them knowing that they would sin against him. He chose them knowing that they would sin against him, knowing that they would reject him, knowing that they would be opposed to him, knowing that they were at war with him. It's an eternal decision before the foundation of the world. But it's also a mysterious decision. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does the text tells us? The text tells us that God chose us it doesn't give us how he chose us other than the fact that he chose us in Christ it doesn't tell us all of the details there is a mystery and we ought to be able as Christians to admit there is a mystery to God's works his ways are not what our ways we understand that God has those things that he does that we do not do, and we cannot understand. He doesn't give us all the details of all that is happen, happening when he chooses us. So we are not here today to fully grasp the doctrine of election. We're not here to say that we will know anything and everything about it as we come to this passage. There are other passages that, that open this to us. Romans 9, John 15, John 17, John 6, all of that. But even in the Old Testament, God speaks of his electing Israel. And you remember that? He tells them, I didn't choose you because you were great in number. I didn't choose you because you were powerful. I didn't choose you because you were awesome. I chose you because I loved you. And isn't that what it says in our text? In love, in love. He predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. And so in Deuteronomy 29, we, we hear of this secret thing, the mystery. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. That we may observe all the words of this law. And so for you, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it fully, but you do need to accept it. Why? Because the word tells us so. Because the Bible speaks of it. Sometimes words like predestination are words that are like, oh, I don't want to hear that. But it's in the Bible. We've got to understand it. We've got to think about it. We've got to seek to to know what God is teaching us. And so there's a lesson for us in that, isn't there? that we don't have to understand it fully, but we do need to accept it. After all, it's the teaching of the scriptures. Peter speaks of this to the Christians who were saved. He speaks and tells them that it was according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, so that they would obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So Peter speaks of it, Paul speaks of it. Is that all? Does anyone else speak of it? The Lord Jesus does. In John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All that the Father gives to me, the Father has chosen his people. In John 15, 16, you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And then in John 17, when Jesus prays in the, the garden, that, the high priestly prayer, this beautiful prayer of the Lord, Within it, he prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so you see that the father chooses his people in Christ and he chooses them before the foundation of the world. It is an eternal Decision. It is a mysterious decision. It is a definite decision. And then also, we need to remember, too, that it is God's loving decision. In love, He predestined us. He doesn't do this because He spites or is spiteful. He doesn't do this in wrath. He doesn't in grace, in love, in mercy. When we think of God's election, the scriptures always tie it with God's grace and his love and his mercy. So that's the nature of God's choice. But then we also want to consider the purpose of God's choice. Notice what it says. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The first purpose of God choosing you is that you would be holy and blameless before him. Holiness. What does God want from from you? No, 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 let me say it this way. What does God want for you? Does God want you to be happy? Does God want you to be miserable? Some people think, well, God just wants me to be miserable. No, he wants you to be holy and blameless. He wants you to be like him. It is God that wants you to be holy and blameless and chosen not because we are holy, but that we might become holy. God did not choose us because we were already holy and blameless. God chose us when we were unholy and blameworthy. God chose us when we deserved judgment. God chose us when we deserved his wrath to be poured out upon us. God chose us when we were sinners and even sinning against Him. And God chose us to be His so that we would be holy. And, friends, one of the things that we teach our children in the Children's Catechism, there's a question In what condition did God make you? The answer is holy and happy. And so does God want you to be happy? Yes, but he wants you to be holy first because when you're holy, then in God, you can be happy. And so there's something to that, isn't there? The fact our election is so that we would be holy and blameless implies though, that we weren't before. He wants you to be holy and blameless because you weren't holy and blameless. And so instead of being brought into relationship with him, we were deserving of judgment, not salvation, but he has saved us. And so the first purpose that we see here is that he wants us to be holy and blameless. But then there's a second one. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adopted. The purpose of God choosing you is that you would be his. You would be his. Think of that. That God would take you out of the world and bring you into his family. That you who were his enemies would be his sons. That the one who was the eternal son of God, because your adoption is through Jesus Christ and through his work on your behalf, that the son of God's bosom, the son that he loved, the son that was with him in all eternity would come to earth, that would leave the father's table to make those who were enemies outside to be brought in to sit at the father's table. That's what adoption is. That you and I, who were enemies of God, would be made sons and daughters of God. That We would say, I'm a child of the king. Adoption. Now, we could devote a whole sermon to this, and we very much well. Verse 6 will lead us into the work of the son in 7 through 12. And so adoption leads us to the work of Christ. But here, see that God chose you. So that you would in real time know him as Father. That's why we read in Galatians that it is by the Spirit that enables us, once we are believers, once we know God, to cry out, Abba, Father. And in the garden, when Jesus is praying on the night when he was betrayed, he also cried out to God, Abba, Father. Why? Because we're adopted as sons. Through Jesus Christ. Now, what does adoption mean? Well, one, adoption, especially in Roman times, meant that you would have all the rights and privileges of a natural child. So God has chosen you, elected you, and he has predestined you to become his son or daughter and so that you would have every right and privilege of the natural child. And in that day, there was Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar adopted a son named Octavian. And Octavian became his son. And so for these early Christians, think about the wonder of becoming the emperor's son. But Paul says to you, to the Christians, he says, hey, even better than that, you have become God's son and daughter. Even better than becoming the son of an emperor or in our day, the son of a president, which probably wouldn't want to be that. But we have this understanding that God is even better. That we would be adopted as his sons and daughters. And that we would have all the rights and privileges of a natural child. And so what does that mean? It means this, friends that when the Father looks upon the Son, Jesus Christ, what does He see? You know that He sees and has, and what does He feel? A love for His Son that is beyond compare. A desire for His Son that is beyond compare. That He is proud of His Son. That He is happy with His Son. And so if you and I have been adopted into God's family and we have the natural privileges and rights of the son, then when he sees you in Christ, he sees the same thing. He feels the same things. He is proud of you. He is happy with you. He loves you deeply. Not because of anything that you've done, But because he chose you to be his, because he has made you his own. Now let's consider some application of God's choice of election. First, see your need for God to save you. Man hates this doctrine of election and predestination. Man hates it. This is not a doctrine that that boosts our ego. It's not a doctrine that that we look at it and say, well, look at me. Uh, God chose me. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty swell. No, it doesn't do anything like that. And so man hates this doctrine. It's belittling to us. It's humiliating. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us here when he taught that no man could have produced this doctrine. He says man would never have thought of it. There is no doctrine that shows so clearly the real nature of sin and the consequences of sin as this particular statement. For in reality it asserts that we are in such a position in respect of sin that we are utterly helpless and totally incapable of doing anything for ourselves in the matter of salvation. That's what this doctrine teaches. You had to be chosen because you never would have chosen God on your own. You had to be chosen because you never would have come to him on your own. You had to be chosen. You had to be predestined before the foundation of the world because you'd have never accumulated enough good works to make up for your sin. We wouldn't have written this, but it comes from God. Secondly, you don't have an excuse for sin. This doctrine does not give you an excuse to live in sin. Remember, one of the purposes of God choosing us is so that we would be holy and blameless. The doctrine of election is motivation for holiness, not an excuse for sin. Some may try to say, I'm elect. Well, I'm I'm part of the elect, so I I can live as I please. I can do what I want. I have security. I'm fine. No, that's a deadly presumption, friend. Because here's the deal. Your election is proven by your holiness. Your election is proven by your holiness. You may have this question in your mind, am I of the elect? Am I of the elect? Well, I would ask you, do you desire to be more like Christ? Are you fighting sin in your life? Are you running to Christ, clinging to him, hoping in the righteousness of Christ and not your own? Should you obey the laws of God? Yes. Should you follow the 10 commandments? Yes. But why? Not so that you can please God or make him happy with you, but because this is what you've been chosen for. Romans Paul teaches us this as well when he says, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." In other words, Christian, you are being sanctified you are being made like Christ. And it started when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 13 and 14, we see that in election, there's also human responsibility. So, how do we, how do we reconcile election, predestination, and with human responsibility? Well, Charles Spurgeon said it this way that we don't need to reconcile good friends. That God chooses us and we choose him. But we only choose him because he chose us. And so here's the deal too. Another application is this, that you ought to be humbled. No boasting. Election doesn't allow you to say, look at me. Election only allows you to say, look at God. Look at what he has done. Look at his greatness. Look at his wonderful love that he would choose me to be his, that he would open my heart so that I may believe in Christ and him crucified so that I would trust in him. It is not arrogant for you to think you are a member of God's elect. Not at all, but you must remember what it means that you are. That you had nothing to do with it, but it was God who decided to take you once unholy and blameworthy and make you his. And he didn't just make you holy or give you help. He made you one of his children united to Jesus Christ. You are a child of the king. You've been adopted. You have full rights as a child of God. You didn't deserve it, but this is what you have. All because God is gracious. But then... There's also another aspect to this. You ought to be on mission. Election and predestination does not mean we shouldn't evangelize. But the text is not about evangelism. But I do need you to understand this. When Jesus came, he came on mission. He came not to be served, but to serve. But Jesus came also to seek and save that which is lost. And when you are adopted into a family, you're going to take on the family resemblances. When you look at me and then you look at a picture of my dad, though you may never met him, you'll see a lot of him in me. And as those who are adopted into God's family, we take upon ourselves the family resemblance. We bear his name and we take on his mission. And so we proclaim Christ and him crucified because though we know the end, because God has chosen the end, and God has planned the end and prepared the end, we also know that God works through means of proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. And then lastly, and do not forget this one, you have dignity because you've been chosen by God, Christian. There is dignity. One preacher said that God has destined man for a higher dignity than even that which creation bestowed upon us so that God's purpose for humanity was not Adam and Eve in the garden, but was Christ on the cross and was a new creation in a new heaven and in a new earth. He chose us before he even created Adam and Eve, predestinating us to be adopted as his sons and daughters, knowing the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. There is a sense of dignity that comes with being a child of the king. It is an honor to know him. It is a great privilege to know him and to be known by him. And it is a wonderful thing to know that God has chosen us to be his. So, when people die, do not call them an angel. There's no dignity in being an angel. There is dignity and being a son or a daughter of the king. Those who have trusted in Christ, those who have become his because of what he has done, there is a certain dignity to it that we should not give to anyone else. And there is a certain dignity to it that we should trust and hope in and cling to and hold dear. And so that we as Christians, I, I, be, I end here with dignity because you understand there is this need for humility. We are to be humble. That it is a wonderful thing that God has chosen us. It should be a humbling thing. But it also should be something that gives us dignity and identity. That this is who I am. It is who I am because God is a great God. A gracious God. A loving God. And he has set his love on me in Christ. And I would say to those of you who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, would you trust in him? Would you believe the gospel? Would you hope in the one who died? The reason Christ came is so that God's choice would would come to be. That God did not just choose you to be his and that was it, but rather the means by which you become his is through the son that comes and lives the life that you could not live, and dies the death that you deserve to die, and is raised from the dead to make sure that we would be right before God, and so that we could be holy and blameless before Him. So I would encourage you to trust in Christ, to believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are thankful for your word, thankful God that you teach us and instruct us. And I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to honor you, help us to live for you, help us to, to be humbled by this great truth, but also help us to be those who live in light of it that we would live as those who have a certain dignity, not to be proud of or arrogant because of, but one in which we ought to show humility and give honor where honor is due to you, our great God. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, Connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Balridge.